Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But the father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among, among any of your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now his father and mother did not know this was from the Lord, who wanted the Philistines to provide an opportunity for a confrontation. <clears throat> At the time, the Philistines, the Philistines were ruling Israel. Now, let me mention this. When I became a parent, before I became a parent, I used to tell myself, and maybe, you know, you as parents too can, can relate to this, but I used to tell myself that I would give my kids everything, you know, everything they ever wanted. You know, even as a teenager growing up, I used to say, yeah, my kids are going to have everything I didn't have, and, and I'm not going to be like my parents, and I'm just going to, you know, whatever they want. But it wasn't until I actually became a parent that I realized that loving them meant protecting them from certain people, places, and things. Now, as they continue to grow, as they continue to get older, I also realize this sense of protection over them will never end. It will never end, no matter how old they get. They may be in their 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, I don't know if I'll be alive in their 60s, but um, um, <clears throat> there will always be that sense of protection within me and Robin. Because they're our children, you know, and we love our children, and we just, we always will. Now, um, we as parents, we've been given a special task by God to raise and teach them about how the Lord desires for them to live. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, God said this, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be, to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What do you do, though? And this is, the, this is one of those questions that we all must ask ourselves as they do begin to get older and they start being more independent. What do you do when one of your grown children comes to you wanting or demanding that you do something for them that isn't in their best interest? Well, this is the problem that Samson's parents have to deal with and they're now, and they're now full-grown child. The concerns they bring up show us why it's important that we never give up on looking out for what's in the best interest of our children, especially, especially as young adults, especially as they begin to develop and, and have lives, as they go out there and, and, and make decisions and choices for themselves. We must, if we really love our children, we must continue to be there for them. Chapter 14 picks up during some, Samson's young adult life. 
Up until this time, he's been roaming and thriving in the wild areas of the region. All the while, according to the end of chapter 13, the spirit of the Lord was with him. Right away in this chapter, we're told that Samson visited the town of Timnah. And there, he falls head over heels. He sees the girl and is like, man, she's hot and I want her. I don't even have to talk to her. I'm, I want to marry this woman. She's the right one for me. She's the one. I want to marry her. He falls head over heels. The attraction he feels for her is so strong that when he returns to his parents, he demands, he demands that they arrange for his marriage to her. And he defends it purely on personal grounds. Now, the initial portrait that the author of Judges paints of Samson, Samson is anything but appealing. He paints him as an insolent and independent young man, unafraid to venture into the pagan world of the Philistines, and undaunted by potentially compromising situations. And when he sees this girl there in Timnah, the only thing in his mind was making the necessary arrangements to marry her as soon as possible. So when he goes to his parents, he essentially demands that they get her as his wife. But in agree, before agreeing to do so, his parents expressed their concerns over his choice by rightfully asking him why he hasn't chosen a wife from among his people. For Samson's parents, his demands poses not only a cultural problem, but a religious dilemma as well. You see, culturally, the Philistines did not adhere to this practice, this practice of you marry your own people, you marry from your own clan. They intermarried and they married from all peoples, from all over the world, from all over the region. Whereas with the Jews, According to the law, they only married within, they were only supposed to marry within their own clan, within, you know, Jewish people were supposed to only marry Jewish people. And for this reason, because the Philistines did intermarry, they were considered at the bottom of the cultural rung. The religious dilemma this marriage posed was that this sexual union would mean that he had to have physical contact with an uncircumcised heathen. According to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, this was absolutely prohibited. They were not supposed to marry uncircum the uncircumcised, those outside their clan. So he knew, he understood, the parents understood, that he was breaking the law. Now the concerns his parents have actually reveal to us what kind of parents they were and also show us the importance of parenting when the kids leave the house. The concerns they reveal, the concerns they had <coughs> reveal they, that they were involved in his life. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked them for anything. He wouldn't have asked them what they thought or, or to have that marriage, his marriage arranged. It also reveals that um, they challenged him to think about the consequences of his actions. 
It also reveals that they continue to be attentive, that he follows and keeps his Nazarite vows. And it reveals that they, it also reveals they cared about his choices and how it would affect the plans God had for him. And lastly, it reveals the love for him, the love they had, that the, I'm sorry, the love, that they loved him enough to allow him to make his own mistakes. In a few years, both my boys are going to be out of the house. I mean, I, you know, part of us do want, they, you know, we would be happy if they stayed at home for the rest of their lives, but we know that eventually they're going to have to, you know, live their own lives, leave the house. And they're going to be out there in a world living their own lives and making their own choices. And we as parents, Robin and I, we hope that we will always be involved in their lives. We hope that we will always challenge them to think about the consequences of their actions. We hope that we will continue to be attentive to, for them to keep their Christian values, their morals, their beliefs. We, will, we want to continue to care for them and their choices and how their choices are going to affect God's plans for them. And we will always love them enough to make mistakes, you know, to make their own mistakes. You know, we, we can only protect them for so long, but we know that in order for them to grow and learn, they're going to have to make their own mistakes. And, and I hope that, they, again, they understand that we will always be there to help them when they do. Now the end of verse 3 tells us that when they express his concerns to him, Samson is all the more adamant about them making her his wife because in his opinion, she meets the definition of Miss Wright. He sees her and says, she's the right one. She's the one. Now those of you who are listening, watching, who are here, and who aren't married, but would like to be one day, let me offer this piece of advice. Many marriages have failed because they didn't take the time to get to know the person. You see, young men and women who are so eager to get married, they fall into so many traps. You see, he or she may have the physical and financial qualities you seek in a husband or wife, but that shouldn't be the foundation of your marriage. First and foremost, Jesus Christ should be the foundation. That person ought to love the Lord with then more than anything else. And they should always look out for your spirit, for your spiritual, for the best, your best interest. As Christians, you should carefully discern the Christian commitment of anyone you're interested in. There may have been pretend conversions calculated to merely entice a Christian to marriage. Again, many marriages have been destroyed because of these types of wolves in sheep's clothing. 
seek the wisdom of God, of good and faithful Christian friends and family you trust. Look for those who have survived turbulent marriages because of God's goodness, mercy, love, and forgiveness. If you've got parents that are strong and committed and faithful Christians, ask them what they would want to see in a future wife or husband. It's also important that you ask yourself that if a man or woman, that, that if this man or, or woman you're interested in is someone your parents would approve of and be happy for you about. I want my children, of course, to marry wonderful women, but for me, it, it doesn't really matter what they look for, what they look like, as long as I can say, yeah, you know what, they're gonna be in safe hands. And it's more so with my little daughter. You know, I, I want a man to lead her. I want not only for a man to just love the Lord with all his strength, but also to be a spiritual leader. And so, again, if you're not married, look for these qualities in a person. Parents who truly love their children want nothing more than for them to be in healthy and successful marriages. If you want some good scriptural references about marriage, I recommend Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, in spite of Samson's lack of godliness, the Lord Yahweh is using the sinful tendencies of Samson to accomplish his purpose of freeing Israel. You see, he manages to achieve his purpose not in spite of but by means of Samson's resistance, God, in his infinite wisdom, was using Samson as a tool to rile up the Philistines. And this woman offers an opportunity to make it happen. The irony of it is that despite his selfish interest, disrespect for his parents, and complete disregard for the claims God has in his life, Samson ends up doing the will of God. This may also be the case with many of those who have chosen to live and act how they want instead of living and acting how God wants them to. Warren Risby said this, when God isn't permitted to rule in our lives, he overrules and works out his will and per, his will in spite of our decisions. Of course, we're the losers for rebelling against him. But God will accomplish his purposes with us or in spite of us. What a powerful thing that God will continue to use, do his will. He will continue to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes he will even do it in our rebelliousness. That's how amazing God is. Well, let's continue on with our passage here. Picking up in verse, verse 5. Sam, Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly a young lion came roaring at him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, 
and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went and spoke to the woman, to the woman because she seemed right to Samson. After some time, when he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass, and there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. <laughs> now this is nuts. Here, he scooped up some honey with, into his hands and ate it as he went along. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. This next scene of the story portrays Samson returning to Timna with his parents to negotiate his marriage with this Philistine girl. This time, however, he moves from merely seeing her to actually talking to her. However, before all this happens, another story is interwoven where, where we're told that a lion attacks Samson as he passes through the vineyards of Timnah. Now, as a Nazarite, he was to have nothing to do with great products in any form. Because as a Nazarite, he wasn't supposed to have any alcoholic beverages, wasn't supposed to have any beer. He was supposed to stay clear from all that. And being in the vineyard, you know, it was one of those tempting things. You know, it could have been, you know, he could have, we're not, again, we're not told if he did or not, but, you know, the compromise would have been there. The, 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 the means to a compromise was obviously there. So by walking through this vineyard, Stanson was dangerously close to significant compromise. While walking through this vineyard that he should have stayed away from, a young lion came roaring at him. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but if lion came towards me, man, it was, I probably would turn white as a ghost and pass out right there and just be lunch for this lion. But verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. And may, again, maybe this, this tells us that he had experience he's tearing up young goats. But this was a full-grown lion that he tore up. He may not have realized it, but the lion was there for a few reasons. Firstly, this was God's way of telling Samson of the dangers of being in places he wasn't supposed to be. Secondly, how he killed the lion symbolized part of God's plan for how he would use him to deal with the Philistines. And thirdly, this also set up the riddle he, would he will eventually tell at the wedding banquet. As the story continues in verses 8 and 9, Sams Samson actually compromises his Nazarite status by not only approaching the dead carcass of the lion he has killed, but also scooping the honey from the beehive that was built inside this carcass. He's, not, he's now not only touching something that is severely unclean, but he's also eating food that has come into contact 
with such uncleanness. Now, in case you're, you're thinking about it and you're reading that and you're like, wait, why would he do that when he's been, has the Spirit of the Lord and he's been empowered by the Spirit of God and you're confused as to why Samson would do such a foolish thing after being remarkably filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear what, what Pastor David Guzik wrote. He says, this shows that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit does not automatically make a person godlier. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit gives one the resources to be godlier, but it doesn't do it to them. A person can be wonderfully gifted by the Holy Spirit and, be, and yet be spiritually immature. Now I want to point out that while this episode depicts for the first time Samson's divine empowerment for a great physical feat, it does set up the riddle he will tell in the next passage. It also reveals the deliberate folly of Samson in compromising the first two of three prohibitions by the angel of the Lord back in chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. There were instructions that he had to fulfill. There was things that he had there were specific instructions that this angel of the Lord had given his parents. And now we see that he rebroke two of them. This folly sets up an expectation that Samson is on his way to compromising the, the third prohibition, which was <coughs> cutting one's own hair, cutting his hair, which is emphasized the most, which is emphasized heavily in chapter 13, verse 5. Now, as I, as I studied and I looked into this, into this passage from a spiritual perspective, I just want to share a couple things that I noticed. As believers who have made a heartfelt commitment to be followers of Jesus Christ, we must be mindful not to put ourselves in compromising situations. In Samson's case, I'm sure there were other ways to get to Timnah without going to the vineyard. I'm sure there was more than one way than going through that, Tim, that vineyard he wasn't supposed to go through. Now, similarly, I'm sure there are other ways, there are other ways for God to, for you to do God's work the work God has called you to do without putting yourself in places that might cause you to stumble, that might cause you to fall into temptation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you, he says, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful, de from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. There are certain places that every Christian should definitely stay away from. These are places that are immoral. You know, these are the, maybe the X-rated bookstores, the strip clubs, those places that, again, that just seeing there, being there is a sin. And then there are places that are completely illegal. And, you know... I can think of, you know, illegal dogfights, you know, 
Brewster fights. There are other places that as individuals we should avoid because of the high probability we'll be tempted to sin. And I was beginning to share my, my example is that many of you know that I had a strong issue with alcohol. I was an alcoholic. Now, I know that personally, I'm not going to be hanging out at bars, nightclubs, in those areas that are going to cause me to fall into temptation. However, if a coworker or a friend was to ask me, hey, um, can you tell me about Jesus? Or can you tell me about your faith over lunch? And we're at a restaurant, and he decides to order a beer. Or uh, let me back up. If, he's, if he says, I'll meet you at the bar, I will probably tell him I, I would prefer, you know, really to sit at one of the tables. Um, but if he's there and he decides or, he'll order a beer, that doesn't affect me. You know, if we're out and about and, and friends are drinking, for me, that's, that's not a big issue. But it's being close to it. It's being at the bar, smelling the, the thoughts, the, the, the sights. It, it, it does something to me. And so therefore, again, I know that I need to stay away from, from those places. You know, I can go to a birthday party. I can go to a wedding, a quinceanera, whatever. And, and there could be drinking around. And does, that doesn't affect me. But it's being there close to it that I'm like, you know. I'm more likely to fall. So that's, for me, that's individually, I need to stay away from that. And for you, it may be something different. You know, for people, it's gambling. For other people, it's gambling. For other people, it's movies. For other people, it's concerts. It could be several things. But again, whatever it is that has a grip on you and that you know will cause you to sin, stay away from it. Stay clear from it. And um, I've heard this before. Before anyone says, Jesus hung out with sinners. Remember, we're not God. And he came to save and call others to repentance. He never stood there while people sinned. Jesus was never with sinners to appear evil have fun with them, enjoy their sinning, and watch them sin. He exposed evil, taught sinners, and called people to repentance. So make an effort to avoid those places the devil will use to tempt you or others to sin. Listen to the words carefully. Listen carefully to these words Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And gives it and gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Now quickly, another thing I notice, I see in these verses that we just read has to do with the honey Samson, Samson took from the carcass of the lion. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the honey believers have and share with others. In Psalm 81.16, God says, I would satisfy you with the honey from the rock. Pastor and theologian C.H. Spurgeon pointed this out, pointed out that this, by analogy, is a pattern for the way we should share the gospel. And here's how. Here's, here's the analogy. Samson brought the honey first to those nearest to him. And for you, sharing the gospel, it means sharing the gospel to those who you're in most contact with. The, other, the next analogy, he says, Samson brought the honey with his hands. And for you, it's, it means sharing the gospel to others simply with what you have available. If it's with your hands, if it's with your feet, if it's with your eyes, whatever, whatever God has given you, whatever you have available, share it. It's not, it's not meant to be complicated. The next analogy, he says, Samson actually gave them some honey to taste. Share the gospel with others by allowing them to taste it, to see how good it is. And the last analogy he uses, the C.H. Persian uses, is Samson brought the honey modestly, not boasting about killing the lion. So what that means is share the gospel of Jesus with humbleness and in love. Okay, let's, let's finish off this chapter here. Verse 10. Judges chapter 14, verse 10. His father went to visit the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there. As young men were accustomed to, to do, when the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast and figure it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't explain it to me, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they replied. Let's hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. After three days, they were unable to explain the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn you and your father's family to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? So Samson's wife came to him, weeping, and said, You hate me and don't, and don't love me. You told my people the riddle, but haven't explained it to me. Look, he said, I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, so I would explain it to you. So, he, so she, she wept the whole seven days of the feast, and at last, on the seventh day, he explained it to her because she had nagged him so much. Then she explained it to her people. On the seventh day, before the sun set, the men of the city said to him, 
What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So he said to them, If you hadn't plowed, if you hadn't plowed with my young cow, you wouldn't know my riddle now. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of their men. He stripped them and gave them their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house, and his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. During this time of, of Samson, the wedding process was divided into two phases. There was the, the first phase was the, was the betrothal, and the second phase was the marriage. The betrothal was nearly as binding as the marriage itself and was normally arranged by the parents. It was a formal arrangements, arrangements. Almost, it was almost like a business arrangement. You know, they were like, I'll, my son will marry your daughter if you give us this, and your daughter will be allowed to marry our son for, you know, and this, you know, again, it was a negotiation. Now, the marriage feast lasted a week and involved both families, friends, and the entire community of the bride. And that's why we see, they said, we see that they said, did you come, did we, were we invited so that you can rob us? Now, unfortunately, this was one of those weddings, one of those wedding parties that didn't go as planned where everything and that where everything could go wrong went completely wrong. It was a debacle, a complete debacle of an engagement. Again, there was a, there was a process from day one to day seven. After day, the last thing to do in day seven was that the marriage was finalized with the consummation of the marriage. But until then, it was just, it, it wasn't, it was just a process. It wasn't done yet. But, this debacle actually began to go downhill before the marriage, before the, any of it even began. It began actually at the wedding feast. According to the beginning of this passage, 30 young Philistine men were brought to Samson to join him and his companion, as, as his companions. In verse 18, we were told that these, these were men of the city and were likely from the clan of the bride standing as groomsmen just to keep Samson in check. They, they, they knew that about Samson. He had a reputation for being wild and crazy, for being strong and for doing some crazy things. So these men were appointed kind of, well, officially as his companion, his groomsmen. But in all reality, they were probably just policing him, making sure he didn't get out of control. Now, during the feast, Samson challenges these 30 men with this small little riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, we obviously know the answer because we know, we read the story, and we know what happened and what he's talking about. But these young Philistine men, these 30 men, had no idea at all. They were baffled. They, they wanted to figure out because they wanted to win this wager. They wanted to get these, these, these garments, this clothing. But after three days, 
of being unable to answer the riddle, these men approach Samson's new wife and threaten her. They go up to her and threaten her with a fiery death if she doesn't get the answer for them. Now, it's unclear what her real motives were. But I think that if she really loved and trusted Samson, she would have told him, she would have came to him and approached him and said, listen, husband, listen, my love, this is what these people have done and this is what these people have said to me. Are you going to protect me? You see, she wouldn't have needed to plead with tears for an explanation of the riddle. What is clear is that she knew how to manipulate the situation and how to make herself a burden to her husband until she got what she wanted from him. And Samson saw right through it. So on the last day of the wedding feast, he gives in and explains the answer to her. And what does she do? Instead of us saying, oh, thank you, honey, and I won't tell anybody, and I know you're going to watch me and take care of me, she goes and she tells the men of the city. And they're able to now go to Samson and answer the riddle before the sun sets, before the deadline is over. Samson, however, will not be mocked. And he accuses them of taking advantage of his, new, or of his wife, or his potential wife. He tells them, if you hadn't plowed or plowed with my young cow, you wouldn't know what my riddle is. Or you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know my riddle now. The proverb, this was a proverb they used back then, but the proverb he used simply means you couldn't have done what you did if you hadn't broken the rules. Because heifers weren't used for, for plowing. Now, since the guests had played foul, technically, Samson could have refused to pay the price. But he generously agreed to keep his promise. He's like, all right, you guys cheated. You guys completely went out of, you weren't, did what you guys weren't supposed to do. But it's okay, I'll, I'll keep my promise. Chapter 14 then ends by telling us the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. And in anger, he kills 30 uninvolved Philistines. He kills 30 guys, 30 Philistines, didn't even know what was going on, didn't even know about this wager, didn't even know about this bet, about this riddle. The spirit of the Lord did not come upon Samson to avenge the hurt feelings of a husband. God's strategy was much larger. You see, God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Therefore, he used this occasion to pour out his spirit on Samson to fight against the Philistines. And after killing them, he brings back their clothes to, yes, fulfill his promise. In his rage, still filled with rage, however, he does not retrieve his wife. He does not retrieve his bride, but returns without her to the house of his father. When he returns, when he goes back, 
what he essentially does, he, he, he doesn't fulfill the last and essential part, the last and essential step in the marriage process. He doesn't consummate. They don't consummate the marriage. And so what happens? Therefore, Samson's wife is given to one of those 30 companions that he had around. I mean, the party was already going on, so why not just pass her along to one of those companions? In, in retrospect, had he completed the marriage process and married this Philistine woman, you think about it, that relationship would have crippled the work God has had called him to do. Likewise, believers should be aware that when they enter unholy marriages, they are sinning and hindering the, the work of the Lord as well. And if, and if you're looking at me like, well, what do you mean? You know, well, let me, let me share with you what, it's, what it says in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, it says... Do not become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God says, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. When you marry with unbelievers, with people from... Yes, I know it sounds horrible, but the truth is when you marry those from different faiths, it's, you're not honoring the Lord. Now, with the little bit of time we have left, I, before I finish, I want to share a few final thoughts about what we can learn about this passage. Lesson number one. Selfishness, stubbornness, and pride will make you lose sight of your true identity. You see, although Samson had been raised knowing about God and had even been empowered by the Spirit of God, he began to lose his identity when his focus turned inward, when he started to pay attention to his own wants and needs, and when he started visiting these towns that he wasn't supposed to be in at all, he started to lose his identity. He started to really, he didn't remember who he was and who he was meant to be. You see, had he kept his eyes, heart, and mind on God <coughs> instead of himself, he wouldn't have lost himself in Timnah. As with, with, with as many distractions as this world has to offer, it can also be easy for us Christians to forget who we are in Christ. And here are just a couple of verses that tell us 
who you are in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To all who believed and accepted him, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. As long as you keep your eyes, heart, and mind on Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will always remind you, will always be there to remind you of your true identity, who you really are. But once your focus starts turning inward, once you start paying attention to your own wants and needs, your own selfish desires, when that pride starts to kick in, that's when you're going to start losing your identity. And that's when you're going to start falling away and, and walking away and making bad choices and decisions. Lesson number two, don't allow your words and actions to be governed by your emotions. This is an important thing. This is something I've, I've taught my kids since they also they were small. Uh, watch your emotions. If you're not careful, you're going to do something really dumb. See, it was Samson's emotions that led him to pose a riddle when he became uncomfortable by the tension of being with his 30 Philistine companions. It was Samson's emotions of, of, uh, that led him to explain the riddle by failing to recognize he was being manipulated by this woman. And it was Samson's emotion, emotion-driven raged, that caused the death of 30 men who were probably thinking to themselves as they were being killed, like, why is this guy doing this to us? Why is he, why is he killing me? I, what did I do? Think of the last time. Think of the last time you said or did something that hurt someone else and or was wrong, you knew was wrong in the eyes of God. Now, if I was to take a guess, and I don't think I'm, I'm mistaken, but I would say it was probably done out of an emotional response. According to Romans 6, Ephesians 5, and 1 Peter chapter 5, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by our emotions. Therefore, it's important that we learn. It's important that we learn to manage, uh, learn about managing our emotions rather than allowing our emotions to manage us. Third lesson. Seek the Lord to lead and direct you. If, Sans, if Samson had sought God's leading, the Lord would have directed him. Um, again, had he sought God's leading, the Lord would have directed him. Instead, Samson went his own way, and the Lord had to overrule his selfish decisions. 
Psalms 32, verses 8 and 9 says, I will instruct you. I will show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will, I will give you counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding. That must be controlled with a bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. If we're looking by faith into the faith, if we're looking by faith into the face of the Lord, He can guide us with His eye, the way parent, the way parents guide their children. But if we turn our backs on Him, He has to treat us like animals and harness us. Now, as I as I close here, our story here. In our story here, Samson was a young man with some serious character flaws, which will become more apparent as we go through the next couple chapters. But despite those character flaws, despite his issues and problems and emotional responses, his lust, all those things, God never gave up on him. You see, although the Lord had every right and he could have just said, you know what, Samson, you're a big screw-up. You know, you're not going to, I don't know, I'm wasting my time with you. He could have moved on and used someone else to accomplish his will and, and purpose. But guess what? God chose not to. God was able to see past all the junk, all the mess in Samson's heart, and see something special that no one else had. So, because of his grace, God began to shape and mold him into the person he was destined to become. This is exactly how God feels about you right now. And in spite of all your character flaws, in spite of all your problems and all your issues and all the, the junk inside of you, and all the mistakes you've made, he will never, ever, ever give up on you either. Behind all the junk in your heart, God sees something uniquely special and wants to dig it out and show you that you're not who you think you are and you're not who others say that you are. And once you see for yourself what God sees in you, you will start to become the person he has destined for you to be. But that digging process, that digging for that, that special, unique treasure, for that, that one thing that, that he sees in you can't begin if he's not in you. And the only way he can be in you is if you're born again. And what does that require? What, is, what does that mean? To be born again requires you to humble yourself by admitting you're a sinner, genuinely repenting of your sins, believing in his son Jesus Christ, and accepting the forgiveness he offers you through the death that he suffered on the cross. When you do this, the Holy Spirit makes his home with you and you become born again. 
And when that happens, God can begin cleaning out the junk. He can begin digging and cleaning and, and saying, yeah, we need to get rid of this and we need to get rid of that. And I need to get through and I need to get to that, uh, that special treasure that's in you. And he starts to do that. He starts to do that in your heart. And within that process, he also begins to prepare you to serve him by molding and shaping you into the image of his son. If you've never done that, if you've never accepted Jesus, if, and, and you want God to do that radical work in your life, and you want, you're tired of being this person, and you know there's something greater in you, and you know that God, you want God to reveal that to you, all you've got to do is just surrender and give yourself to Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Let him come into your heart. And if you've never done that, let me just, you can do that actually right now. All you've got to do, and I believe, actually I'll lead you into a small little prayer. It doesn't, it's not much. But you have to pray it with the sincerity of your heart. Wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, just pray this. Lord, Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned against you. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe he is God. And can thank you for your love that you provided and the forgiveness you provided. I accept his forgiveness and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may walk in your ways all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, it's a sincerity, just know and believe again. You've been born again, and God will begin to do the work in your heart. Just come to him. Come to him. Let's close with a prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us the lessons from Samson's debacle of an engagement. Lord, may we walk away from today and, and take the time to contemplate where we fall short, where we've messed up. And show us, Lord, where we need to change. And when you show these things to us, give us the the strength to, to change it, Lord. Change it for us. We don't actually have the strength to do it. But you give us the strength to make it happen. Lord, help us. 
We want to be closer to you. We want to love you with just all our hearts, all our minds, and all our souls, and all our strength. Take away all those things that are getting in the way between really, that's really truly getting in the way of, of knowing who you are. Fill everyone here, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. Guide them. Instruct them. May they know you even more intimately. Bless everyone here, Lord. May they have, may you bless their week, may you bless their work week, their, wherever they're at, bless them, Lord. Fill them. Bless us next time, Lord, of fellowship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.